My name is Erin Kenny. I am a registered dietitian, holistic cannabis practitioner, and master of nutrition science. Welcome to my podcast, Nutrition Rewired, where I share cutting-edge, practical advice to improve your health and debunk myths to help you rewire the way you think about nutrition and wellness. I've personally tried this one thing that I said this to my boyfriend the other day. I said, I have to tell him about this one trick that he had mentioned on lymphatic drainage. Um, Uh, There's like that spot right below um, like where your ribs meet. And I, if I'm ever having like digestive issues or anything and I'm laying in bed, I'll just kind of like, like palpate that area. And my digestive system, like you can feel my whole stomach start to kind of just like soften. I feel things move a little bit and I go right back to sleep. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's a really powerful spot uh, from anywhere on the abdomen, honestly. Uh, but especially if you go to the very bottom of your rib cage and start rubbing there and then work your way to your navel and around your navel, mm-hmm. that'll change your life. And most people are blown away by how something that small uh, makes such a huge difference. And one of the biggest reasons it works is because nobody ever does anything to their abdomen. The poor thing is really lonely. It's about <laughs> hey, time you showed up. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting when you say that, because I know that whenever I get a massage, you know, conventional massage, they never touch your belly, right? And right. I can understand, you know, some people would be uncomfortable with that. But anytime that I've gotten more of an Asian or Chinese style massage, they always ask, you know, can I massage your belly? And I'm like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. I mean, I can only imagine that there's something good or benefit to that. And every yeah. time they do it, it feels so weird, right? Especially and hopefully we can get into this and I will do an introduction. Um, but you know, with digestive issues, which is what I specialize in, a lot Mm -hmm. of people have this very negative relationship with their belly. Um, whether it's because it, you know, they have digestive issues and they feel like their bodies failed them, or there, there's a lot of discomfort or, um, stored emotion there. Um, or they just, you know, they're self-conscious about their belly and they're like, I just want to cover it up. I don't want to see it, touch it, whatever. Um, But yeah, I think it's a very neglected area of the body. Yeah. It's also very cultural too. You mentioned Eastern medicine. So Mm -hmm. that's just part of their practice. That's a, that's a huge reason to go after, which we can deep dive into for sure. Uh, They they have a different relationship with uh, how they look at the body anyway. It's more of a, a balanced, you know, yin and yang approach um, and what you can do to help it where Western medicine is very isolated and it attacks everything or blames things. And it's very, it's very different. And in the United States, people don't want you to go anywhere n- near the navel. And two mm-hmm. big reasons are, are, are that have them are that it's very sensitive in there, which tells you already you should be there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not supposed to hurt. And the other one is people have a lot of shame associated with their um, body schema that that's how they envision themselves um, in, in a mirror and what they feel and they try to hide away or shun away. And what's very interesting is that they have research that actually came out a while ago, but it's surfacing a lot more now because you can see the role of how emotions play in autoimmune disease and chronic pain, that shame causes uh, systemic inflammation in the body. Mm, I believe that. I believe that. 
So I'd love to kind of just do a quick introduction for you, Dr. Perry. Um, and I will do a nice intro at the beginning with all the details because you have quite the extensive list here of... I don't even know what I have on my site. People <laughs> say, what, what should I say about you? It's like, geez, I don't even know what's written up about me on my site anymore, but... Uh... You've got a lot no, of letters, a lot of letters after your name. Hopefully, um, hopefully it's all good. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it looks great. And um, you can tell by your content and your workshops that you're helping a, a lot of people. And that's, you know, that's the most important thing. Yeah, um, sure is. You know, you're an expert in myofascial, orthopedic, medical, and trigger point soft tissue therapy. Um, the reason I was very drawn to your page was that you're um, really talking about these uh, ideas that are... I wouldn't say foreign, but they're, they're very important and they're misunderstood or overlooked when it comes to pain. Um, so if you could just kind of elaborate a little bit on this concept of stop chasing pain and what that means for the listener. Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. That, that's my brand. And uh, it, it means this really, it, it, I want you to notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say stop treating pain, Right. So you treat pain, and I usually encourage people to start where it hurts because sometimes it's just that easy, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because the body's telling you, hey, I need you to pay attention to something, and this is a good place to start. <laughs> <laughs> the pain is an attention getter. It's a protective and, uh, reaction first, not a punishment one. That's really important for people to understand that it's trying to protect you, to prevent you from doing something that can make your pain way worse. Mm -hmm. um, so you start there because it's got some inflammation in there. And here's the thing, more importantly, because the client that you're working with expects you to. Mm -hmm. And it shows the empathy. It shows that you're listening. It shows that you understand where their pain is. But here's something you learn the longer you're uh, on this earth and the more you're in the game. Maybe you call it wisdom. Uh, it's usually somewhere else, too. <laughs> Very rarely is it X marks the single spot because you're allowed to have more than one problem, I tell people. And it's important to make a distinction between uh, acute traumatic onset pain and chronic pain. So uh, acute pain or traumatic pain usually means, okay, I'm going to hit you in your shoulder and then my shoulder hurts. Or I fall on my shoulder and my shoulder hurts. Well, that's where you want to go. Right. But if it's very different, your treatment strategy is if yesterday my shoulder felt great and when I woke up today, it hurts. That's a completely different ballgame. Right. So I'm going to start at the shoulder, but I'm going to have to explore other places based on this thing called your life story, otherwise known as your complete history. Right? And it usually starts with what happened before what happened, which means tell me what you were doing right before or the week of, and then I'm going to go back, like retro back. Okay? And uh, that's a really important distinction. So chasing means this. That's what we do, <laughs> right? It, it hurts here, and then I treat there, and then I chase it with different techniques or different strategies or you know, different practitioners. So that's one form of chasing, but they're still chasing the site of pain. And the other one is it goes away there, but it shows up somewhere else. And then next thing you know, well, my shoulder hurt, but now it's over here on this one. It's bing, bang, boom, like a pinball machine. And then you're just chasing it. But meanwhile, you don't return yourself back to a state of um, uh, 
homeostasis or balance. Because listen, you're supposed to have pain. If you didn't have pain, your chances of survival actually decrease because you don't know to stay away from something, right? You wouldn't know if you burned yourself. You wouldn't know if you cut yourself. So you'd die quick from an infection. And so that is a survival and protective mechanism. So we can't blame pain. We have to try to understand why somebody has it. And reframing it that way is a big one. That'll actually influence your chances of healing if you flip the switch from uh, looking at it as, as punishment to protection. It often sucks, the protection, because it hurts. But I tell everybody, listen, if you don't think you could be way worse, you're sadly mistaken. <laughs> because you can. Your body's doing everything it can in the moment it's in with the best with what it's got to uh, protect you. So a nice thank you would be pretty good. And if you do that, you actually feel a little bit better, honestly. I believe that. I, that makes sense. Yeah. You had said, I, I listened to one of your podcasts. I think you were a guest on the podcast where you said you, you were talking about this concept of um, your body's constantly fighting for you and having some gratitude for that, fighting, but you need to give your body the tools to heal itself. Like it's, it's trying. So the gratitude that you mentioned will, will come in there. And then also, you know, working with someone or figuring out this from a holistic standpoint, it sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I frame it this way. I mean, you have a relationship with your body, right? With, with who you are, right? Mm -hmm. You're it, if you will. And I say, flip the switch. How, are, how would relationships work in your life if you were resentful of every single person you came up and you, and you met? Miserable. You're going to be pretty damn miserable. Well, your body's the same damn thing. It, it listens, it has a relationship with you as well. So your physiology changes based on your thought process, how you view the world and how you view yourself, because you change how you interact in the world based on how you view yourself or mm -hmm. how somebody else told you to view yourself, which is all the baggage that you're carrying around from someone else that sometimes can be harnessed there your whole life that's been weighing you down. That's another form of the emotions. Now, this is not Pollyanna either, because, you know, I tell people this is that if you flip your thought process to have um, a negative viewpoint on yourself and your situation, your chances of getting better probably decrease a little bit, right? If you flip that switch and you go the other way, well, I'm going to take my odds on that one because at least I stand a chance, right? And that's sure. the, in the medical world, they call that the placebo slash nocebo effect. And they're very powerful and they work. And they're not to be blamed or vilified. They're to be understood because they can be powerful weapons on your healing journey. So a placebo basically is maybe what you see, read, or think, or somebody says to you that you think you're going to feel better, you feel better. Mm -hmm. Well, that's pretty freaking awesome in my world. Uh, and then you have the other side, which is the nocebo. Which if you think you feel worse, you usually feel worse. If you think you're not going to get better, you're probably not going to get better. Or you read something or somebody in the healthcare field says something to you in a, in a negative context. And then you get pulled into the quicksand. Mm -hmm. I mean, which one? I mean, your, your cells are listening either way. Yeah. It's interesting, too, because 
you know, that same concept is very true for diagnoses, right? And I'm sure you see this a lot, like with, um, you know, more structural stuff or even just chronic disease or autoimmune disease that the second someone's given a diagnosis, they, they kind of assume that diagnosis as who they are and they define themselves with that diagnosis. And what you're saying here is that that can be very self-limiting and can really halt someone's ability to heal and get better. Absolutely. Well, people become their label. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I see that even in the nutrition realm of, you know, I have diabetes or, you know, I have heart disease or high blood pressure and we just take these diagnoses and sometimes we just get comfortable with it. Sometimes it's almost easier to, you know, assume that diagnosis and say, well, there's nothing I can do. I don't, I don't want to put in the effort. I think part mm-hmm. of that could be a cop-out, but I think also part of that could just be, you know, the way that we have been taught in Western medicine, which I think, you know, we could dive in a little bit to, um, you know, these other cultural medicines um, and, and how that approach might be a, a better approach. Yeah, because you can get pulled into the quicksand and go under quickly when you get a label or you know, if you go on to Google and you type it in and you see every possible symptom you could think of, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you start feeling them, <laughs> right? And then what can be even worse, honestly, is when you get around other people with the same diagnosis, uh, they it's like a crab in a bucket syndrome. They usually keep pulling you back in and won't let you out because it's almost a story of my misery is worse than yours. And some support groups can be uh, one of the most toxic environments that you're ever going to be in. Uh, mm. And you don't see it when you're in it. It's kind of like the fist that's in water. And, and you go, what water are you talking about? I don't see, I don't see <laughs> any water. Well, it's all around you, man. You've adapted to it. So you have to be careful. And that's another reason why you have to surround yourself with a good community, a good baseline mm. of that. And it's not easy. And I've seen that, too, with the diagnosis, because it's almost this where it's better the devil that you know than you don't know. So you latch on to at least I've got something because the unknown, honestly, is much more terrifying than the known for people Mm -hmm. because that's a form of change. And something that I learned interestingly over the last several years with the zombie apocalypse pandemic is that from studying neurology is that nothing is more stressful to the human human nervous system than uh, not knowing lack of control, right? The, the unknown that stresses us out because we're designed as a species to predict, take in information from the world and from our culture and from our stories and from our influence to help us predict what is the most likely next step. Because if you know what's coming, you're like, okay, I feel, I feel much better. Right. But when you don't know what's coming, you've got this fear and you've got this anxiety of anticipation. And we're hardwired to look at the negative consequences first. Because, you know, you only got to get that wrong once and and you're dead. (laughs) So you're going to err on the side of caution to say, well, you know, oopsie daisy, I got that one wrong. It wasn't negative. But hey. At least I'm not dead, right? And once you know that, that actually takes the stress off yourself of looking at things negatively because you're supposed to. 
but you also have this beautiful thing as a human being called choice. That's powerful. And it resonates with me a lot because I do not do well with the unknown. And it's something Mm -hmm. that, um, which is interesting because at the beginning of the pandemic, I think, you know, I hate to say this, but I, I was almost like in a state of peace because of just, you know, being in the city that everything shut down, there was this, you know, not the sense of urgency or these deadlines, things kind of evened out for a bit, but yeah, I mean, I am so guilty in general, not, you know, pandemic aside of being someone who, um, definitely does not do well with uncertainty. So I'm very much working on that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so uncertainty is a huge stressor for Mm -hmm. people. That's why sometimes, uh, you know, just you being there uh, to listen and being empathetic and a presence for them. You, you don't even have to say anything, you know, mm-hmm. but that's a that's a form of connection. It's kind of like our hardwired instinct to not be alone. Mm-hmm. Because if you were alone uh, thousands of years ago without a support structure with your tribe, your likelihood of dying increased substantially. Right. Mm-hmm. And. If you're thinking, I wonder what's over that hill where nobody's been before. Should I go there? Probably not. <laughs> and if you do, don't go by yourself. So that's also something that was was that happened with this pandemic. We realized how isolation affects us, the uncertainty affects us. And so many things went through the root from mental illness to uh, anxiety to stress to pain, discomfort, autoimmune issues. Um increased on people or got worse or returned and all those sorts of things. And it was because of the change in those two structures, which are huge. So if you can give somebody a little bit of a reassurance on something Mm -hmm. that can decrease their uh, uncertainty um, and that can help them get to their healing faster. And I started to think about that a little bit. And I said, listen, I said, you know what? Pain is a form of certainty. Hmm. Interesting. Because if something always hurts, you can be certain that it always hurts. So it beca- pain becomes your life preserver and your anchor because so many people don't know who they are without pain. That's very true. Right? Very, so that's very huge. True. Yeah, and, and pain is a protective response. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's protecting you from something that can be way worse. And it probably is. Because do you really think your body is going to wake up and send you uh, the worst thing it could think of on purpose? That's stupid. That's not a good strategy. So it's like, I'm going to send you this because I'm trying to protect you from that over here. Mm -hmm. And they call those protectors. And so with pain, people are usually chasing these compensation and adaptation and protector sites that are there. And that's where very often people get worse or don't get better because you're you're tr- you're taking away the protector and then you make the person even more vulnerable. Mm. Oh, interesting. Then they go back to habits and behaviors, and then the protector says, "I have to come back again," and it comes back harder and stronger and digs in deeper, mm. or the person just falls apart and they break. So. <laughs> I love this conversation. It's so powerful. Yeah, we're getting kind of deep here, man. It's yeah. like a fortune cookie <laughs> so, moment right there, right? I'm like, all right, so let's bring it up a little bit. Um, 
Now, so big takeaways so far is number one, belief that you can change and not assuming this, um, you know, this kind of diagnosis or taking this pain on as who you are. But I mean, what would you say to someone who is living with chronic pain? Obviously, your approach is there's a physical aspect of it. You're actually treating patients, right? And what are things mm-hmm. that you're doing with them? Like, what does a healing process look like for these patients? And if you have any, you know, really great case studies, feel free to share those. Sure. Well, that's a lot to unpack here because, I mean, you could go for probably the rest of your life talking about pain and still feel like you didn't get anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's a deep, that's like a black hole. Um, So let's talk first about pain. So my definition of pain is pain is a request for change. So just unpack that for a minute. A request, not a demand. Request from from what? Your body, you, right? That that's not your adversary. First of all, you have to reframe that. Uh, a, a request for change, and then people go, "Change what?" And my answer is yes. Which means I don't I don't know what it is. Maybe it's how your definition of pain. How about you change it from punishment to protection? That's like a big coming out of the matrix moment right there. Uh, And the other one is habits in your life. And that's when I go back to basics. Uh, Are you in a toxic relationship or a toxic marriage, toxic work environment, right? Um, uh, Are you drinking enough water? Are you going to the bathroom every day? Are you uh, moving and walking? Are you going out in the sun? Are you you doing breathing? I'm, I'm talking basic fundamental things that most people honestly are not doing. And if you just change those, those can make a huge difference. Plus, you're empowering yourself and you're, you're playing an active role, which is what's called control. So control is what? Certainty. I can be certain that I'm going to drink six glasses of water a day. That's going to decrease your stress level because I'm taking control of that, right? The key is not to overload you with too much because if I overload with too many things, that's lack of control. You get, you get overloaded. So but just looking at pain as a request for change is a huge one. Then when you look at basics and fundamentals, I have to get those off first. Because if you don't own those, like if you're not sleeping, nothing I do in my magic toolbox is going to work for long. Then I have to look at, well, what is, where does pain come from? <laughs> well, we know now that pain is not in the tissues of the body. Pain is not dependent on the amount of or the extent of damage to tissues that you can objectively see, which means this, that people can have some horrific damage to something that they see on an X-ray or an MRI, and they're like, oh, thanks for letting me know. I appreciate that. Can I go out and play now? And you're like, what? You should be like not moving. I'm like, I'm good to go. Um, but then you have some people that can't move, can't breathe, can't get off the floor. And they say, I don't see a lick of anything on your MRI or your scans and your blood work shows up. Okay. But I I'm in so much pain. So now we know that, that pain comes from the brain. So pain is actually in the brain and what's the pain. Also, you change pain in your brain by changing how you think about pain, protection or punishment right there. So pain is an output signal, not an input signal is what people need to know. It sounds like if I smash my finger and it's coming up. Yeah. But the signal is actually coming from here down. Right. Mm. 
So, and there's no localized place that you can go to in the brain to say pain is here. It lights up everywhere. And they see it really lights up the emotional centers of mm. brain with pain, right? So that's why some people can be stuck in this chronic pain matrix because of it being up, up in the brain. And very often it comes from the stories that you tell yourself, right? And the stories that you tell yourself are based on the stories that other people have told you, but also your life history, like we said before, and the inputs, so if we go kind of back to it, your brain is always gathering information consciously and subconsciously all the time, like trillions of data per second that if you actually had to physically consciously be aware of it, your head would explode in an instant because it's a system overload. So you get information through your senses, what I see, what I hear, what I smell, what I taste, what I feel from outside and from inside. And so those are inputs. And most of the data is coming in without you being aware of it, but your, your brain still has to process that data. And so when it comes to the brain, the brain says to itself, okay, I got all this information. What do I do with it? Oh, I have a novel idea. What did I do last time I came across that information? Well, I'm just going to do that again. Maybe, maybe your response to all that information at one point was pain. And it'll just do the pain option again. Why? Because that's what it did the last time, right? And, and it worked. How do you know it worked? Well, you're not dead. That's how you know it worked. Because your brain is only concerned with survival. It's not concerned with happiness. Happiness is a distant 500. Not being dead is number one, because it's hard to be happy when you're dead. So it does whatever strategy it needs to in the moment it's in with what it's got to accomplish that. And we don't always understand it and it doesn't make sense, but the human body is under no obligation to make sense to you whatsoever. It could care less whether you understand it. Maybe one day we'll catch up. <laughs> so it interprets things. All this stuff's coming on and I'm going to interpret it. And most of it's subconscious. And then it gives an output. And then what's the output? That's your behavior. That's your habit. Right. And when you look at the brain, it's quite fascinating that we know that it, it, it depends on the resources you look. It, it'd be 80 to 90 percent of what the brain does all day long is subconscious. You don't think about it. like how the hell did I get to work here? I was just in my car and I was singing 80s tunes and I'm here at work. I don't know how I did it. Right. Um, at least that's me. And so but the other 10 to 20 percent is conscious. That's like, I'm going to reach for the glass of water, that sort of thing. Yeah. But what drives your life are the subconscious ones and the background, right? Particularly movement. Very little of your brain is devoted consciously to movement. Most of it is subconscious, repeating some of those programs, those protector programs. That's why a lot of people, when they've had prior pain somewhere, even though they don't feel, quote unquote, conscious pain there anymore they're moving around and adapting to it and compensating for it like they have pain there that makes sense because it's stuck in the matrix right and then that's also where i come back and i go well how do you know you don't have pain there and they're like because it doesn't hurt i'm like how do you know that so what i do in my world is something let's give you an example let's go back to the abdomen like, oh, you know, my, my back is killing me. 
my lower back was bothering me. And I've been doing everything I can think of to my back. I've been icing, I've been heating, I've been the laser, I got adjustments, I'm doing my back exercises. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe that's not it, right? Or you got to dig deeper and make sure you don't have a tumor in your back. You know, I got to rule things out. And then I'm going to say, okay, well, yin and yang, let's flip the coin. What's on the other side of your back? Well, that's the front. That's the abdomen. And they're like, but it doesn't hurt there. I'm like, well, let's find out. And then what I do is I lie you on the table and turn you on your back. And I start to put my fingers in your abdomen and I visibly see somebody getting uncomfortable. They show me signs of stress and distress and a fight or flight response. Like they don't want to be there. That right there automatically tells you that that is a spot you need to be going because the brain is saying to itself, Oh my God, don't let them in here. This is not going to be good, right? <laughs> and then I press a little bit harder, and then you have pain. And a reflex might be to hit me, kick me, punch me, or flee, right? Well, that's inflammation, right? So I know, here's the kicker. Here's what I want you to focus on here is that you didn't consciously know that that area hurt. So you didn't think it's any big deal affecting your life. But I'm telling you, it's affecting everything in your life because your brain has been taking in that data of discomfort below the radar 24-7 mm. all day long. And it's trying to protect you from the pain in the abdomen. Because I got news for you. If you think pain in the lower back is bad, you've got no idea until you get pain in your abdomen. If you've had people on here who get gut inflammation or colitis or stuff like or diverticulitis, that'll pop to your knees quick, fast, and hurry, and you feel like you can't breathe, and it feels like an emergency, right? So that's a protector state, right? So to me, when I look at things, uh, I think the front of the body is far more important and far more powerful and helping people recover from chronic pain than anything I'm ever going to find on the opposite side mm. because of that very fact that it's so important, those structures in the front of the body um, from the abdomen to the chest, to the throat, to the face. And guess what? That's where most of your sensory organs reside that you're using to gather information to live your life. And that's also why when I look at the, uh, threat response, or I look at the protective response. All right. That's okay. If I keep going, I know I'm down. A, a oh, this is great. Yeah. I love this. So I want you to think about this for a moment. We know that chronic pain and inflammation is driven by the stress response, incessant stress response. So first of all, stress is not bad. You need stress. You have to adapt. That's how you become hashtag beast mode, monster, a big dragon. Because if you didn't have stress, you can't get stronger. It's just never-ending, relentless stress where you can't recover that breaks you down. And so that increases the inflammation in your body. Because the autonomic nervous system controls the sympathetic response, which is I'm going to fight or run. Then you've got the parasympathetic, which is the I'm going to relax and chill out and have a conversation, have some wine, and maybe we'll you know have some sex too. That's always good. And then you have the enteric nervous system, which is probably a big part of your world. That's the gut. 
right? Then that's in here. So all three have to work together. So when you get into a situation of a threat response, let's say you had a couple of options, right? And pain can be a threat response. So the first option and the smart option, unless you're coming up upon a threat, is to uh, how about you just try to, if you're a human being, negotiate with your stress, whatever is coming at you, right? That's what we have unique as human beings. We can use language. We can use social engagement. And I'm going to try to de-escalate the situation. Or I'll even talk differently when a dog's in front of me. Hey, little nice puppy. It's all good. You know, I'm not going to come up in its grill and start yelling at it because I'm going to be dead, right? So you break in those social cues. And if that option doesn't work, then the next option and the smart option is to run. Maybe, right? You flee if you can. Any great fighter will tell you it's smarter to run than fight because even if you win, you're probably going to get hurt and that might be enough to kill you later or your life might be affected. So just go. Most people don't because their ego gets in the way and they stay and they do stupid things. Now, sometimes running away is not the smart play. You just freeze and you don't move. That's called the freeze response. So you might not want to run from the tiger because they're a little bit faster than you are. <laughs> so you just freeze, right? Now, if either one of those are not an option, and let's say that you can't flee and that you're going to fight because you realize that freezing isn't going to work, I'm going to go at it. I'm going to scrap. Now, if it's great, somebody's going to come in and break it up or you're going to win or they're going to start to get the best of you. Now, what happens when you're losing and then you can't fight anymore and you can't run? What's the universal position that you see everyone get into to protect their body when they're getting a beat down? Field position. Yeah, so everybody knows what it is. You're going to take your arms and your head, and you're going to cover your face. And I'm going to try to cover my ears, but mostly my eyes, like this way. I'm going to cover my throat. I'm going to cover my abdomen, and I'm going to cover my chest. And when you do that, what do you leave open? Your back. So right there, the body already told you what's more important to it for its overall survival. Mm. It, it doesn't curl backwards. <laughs> and say, take out my hair. Because if I take out your throat, you're dead. If I take out your mouth, you can't chew. If I take out your eyes, you can't see. If I kick you in the groin, you're not going anywhere. If I take out your abdomen, that's a gut punch. That's it, right? So you're hardwired with these reflexive. You don't have to think about it, right? You just go. If something comes at your face, your hands come up. If I go for your throat, my arms come up. If I go for the abdomen, I curl into a fetal position. What's the position that you get into when you're being crushed by the world and you're depressed? You get into the fetal position. So what position is that called? That's called your safety position, right? So when I look at it and I see everybody curling forward like this, they look like a human cashew nut. They're going the opposite way. I know that that's a protective response that's happening in there. But I'm almost done, but this is really important. Very rarely does anyone come in to me and say, Doc, I have to see you today. My face is killing me. My, my throat is killing me. Or my sternum is killing me. Or my abdomen is killing me. They don't complain of pain there. Because usually if they do, they're at the hospital because it really freaking hurts. 
they're usually complaining of pain everywhere else. The back of my head hurts, the back of my neck hurts, the middle of my back hurts, my low back hurts, my hips, my ankles, my, you know, everything else. And guess where everybody goes to treat it? Right there. And you should. But in Perry's office, I'm going to go to everything else in the front and see how you react to that when I go there. And I can tell you this much. I've been doing this for a long time. If you walk through my door asking me for help, I already know I'm going to find it because that's why you're there, right? Because so many things go to your mind. When you have pain in your chest, what's your first thought? Heart attack, right? If you have pain in the throat or here, something here, first thing is I won't be able to breathe. I won't be able to swallow. Pain in the abdomen, I mean, that's really a protective area because that, to me, is the emotional center of the body. That's the gut-brain connection, the emotional brain in there. And then the last point, I did this on uh, my Instagram channel where you know, you've got connective tissue in the body called fascia that, that connects everything in together. And they run, it runs all over the place in all these different lines. But um, when you curl forward into a fetal position, um, where does most of the tension go? What's the focal point of all the tension when you curl into a ball? Imagine if you, if you can't picture that, take your hand and I want you to make a really tight fist and notice where all of the tension goes. It goes right into the knuckle, the center knuckle, right? So when you curl forward into fetal position, all that directed pinpoint tension goes right in the center of your gut, <clears throat> about two to three inches above your belly button. And then that's why it hurts when I stick my fingers in there because you got so much tension there. And tension in the body decreases how fluids flow in the body because the tissue is so tight that the fluid can't move. You follow? Mm -hmm. And then people say, what kind of fluid? Well, yes is my answer. The blood flow into things, blood flow out of things. And if you don't have blood flow to cells, they're going to die, period, right? And then you have the waste going out, which are lymphatics, which is my jam that I'm really into. And then you've got the nerves that go there. And nerves get really, really unhappy when they can't breathe with blood flow. I know because they told me. And when a nerve is not happy, it lets you know it's not happy. What's one way it can let you know that? Oh, I have a really cool signal I'm going to send to Dr. Perry. I'm going to hurt you. Here it comes. So that's why most pain in the body that I find is because they have poor, poor uh, fluid flow. And you got to go there. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I mean, that's a huge reframe I need for people to understand about looking at the body. And that's what stop chasing pain means. It doesn't mean just rub where it hurts. That's a mm -hmm. piece of it. But there's way more to it, way more mm -hmm. to it. And, and this is incredible, too, because it's not we're not talking like something that you go in, you get treated for and you're done. Right. Because you, when you're talking about these things that our body is I wouldn't say, I guess, yeah, suppressing constantly. And we don't live in a world where there's no stress or um, dysfunction or dehydration. Like those things are always going to be the case. So 
it sounds like these are things that you should be thinking about on a daily basis of how you can support your lymphatic system, support your nervous system, you know, all of those things. Yeah, right. So first of all, you can't change something until you become aware of it, right? Mm-hmm. So, well, things change all the time, but you're usually not aware of it. Mm-hmm. So if you want to have some role in it, you have to become aware of it. So that's the first step towards healing. It's holy crap. Nobody told me I should rub my abdomen. Well, there's your awareness and then start doing it. Mm-hmm. Right. And, but there's people need help sometimes. Right. I mean, we all do. And that's what healthcare is for. And I, sometimes stuff is just broken and it's only going to get better so much, but I firmly believe that it can be a little bit better than where it is right now, whatever that level is for you. But there's a difference between, um, treatment and care. Like I, I tell people that you should have self-care every day that you're doing to yourself, right? Because health is a direction, not a destination. Mm-hmm. There's no end point to it. I'm going to say, Hey, tomorrow I'm healthy. And okay. Well, what about the next day? So it's a direction. And it, that also means that it can zigzag. Mm. And it's okay to to go left and go right and go up and go down and, and, you know, go a different way and not beat yourself up if you have the donut, right? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you're miserable and you don't deserve to live, that sort of thing. That, that That's just part of life, right? And here's what I also learned about the brain is that the brain doesn't think in terms of good, bad, right, wrong. That's all perception. That's based on the story you tell yourself or the culture that you're in, which means that somebody could do something and person A thinks it's good, person B thinks it's bad. I'm like, what's the same damn thing? Which is it? Well, it's either one because information is inherently meaningless. The meaning comes from the person giving it to it. Your your response gives it the meaning. You understand? Mm-hmm. So the brain doesn't think that way. The brain only thinks of utility. Is it useful or is it not useful? That's it. Is it useful? If it's useful, it will do it. If it's not useful, it won't. And that brings me back to what we talked about before, right? Pain is useful. It sucks sometimes, but it's useful because it's keeping you alive, but it's also preventing you from doing something that could be far worse that you just can't see right now. Hmm. Like it's probably not a good idea to go run today when your ankle hurts because some people will do it and then the brain will just go, okay, I'll do it. But tomorrow you ain't going to get up. Ha ha. I win. You lose. Right. But it also does these other strategies that we think, well, why in the world would my body choose to inflame this and make me like I can't get out of bed today because it's doing what it thinks is useful in that moment to protect you, right? Yeah, Yeah, that's how you have to look at it. So Mm -hmm. fevers are useful. Yeah. (laughs) But here's the thing. It It goes back to what we said before is that that's why it's really hard to break out of habits because your brain goes back to what was once useful because it needed that strategy in order to survive. You see that in trauma a lot. Whatever protective strategy you need to use when you were the little girl or boy to protect yourself from an abusive alcoholic father, you needed it, right? 
And then your, your, your nervous system, your body will remember that and it'll keep using it when you're 25. Mm -hmm. And so I have people that are 25 years old and I have that their body and their reactions are based on the five-year-old protector that's still there. Does that make sense? So it's not that it's bad. It's not bad. It's, it was actually really freaking useful for you. But now what you have to do is show the body that there are other options because mm -hmm. you can't change something until you become aware of it. You follow? Yeah. And that's why I, I don't use the word change so much anymore because the word change can be terrifying. I need you to move from where you are. I don't want to change. So they, they stay the same, right? And so that can prevent people from changing by telling them that they need to change. So now I started to use the word expand. Mm, I like that, expand. Just move a little bit further from, expand from where you are right now. I'm, telling, I'm not telling you got to leave. I'm not saying you have to let go of your life preserver. How about you take one hand off? and expand it out. So it's also, it's also not a blame game on something. And mm -hmm. expansion is like growth, right? And I had a neuroscientist once tell me that, you know, if, if you're trying to go from point A to point B, that's what we do. We try to go from, I'm, I'm this way and I want to go to here as my goal. And then sometimes we get so terrified that if we're going to go to B and am I doing all the right steps to get to B? And the point is not to go directly to B. The point is to just do not A. Hmm. I like this. Okay. Because as soon as you do not A, maybe well, you're taking your steps towards B. And when you're on your way to B, maybe you'll realize I don't even want B anymore. And then maybe you'll say, I want the letter five or the number five and the letter Z. You, you can just end up anywhere. Mm. So the idea is to take the stress and pressure off of yourself to just do not A. That's when I said to people, um, they just have the extra glass of water than you did yesterday. Or sometimes you get better more from what you stop doing than what you start doing. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I see this so often, especially with nutrition and, and discomfort is, well, the last time that I felt this way, I went on this diet and that worked for me or, you know, and it's very easy to just fall into those habits. And the same that you're saying is applicable for those types of scenarios that just because that's what worked for you in the past doesn't mean that that's going to work for you now. And that can be frustrating, but knowing that there are other options in that expansion mindset can allow you to create a new path for yourself. Yeah, that's perfect. And so many people are scared that they're going to, to go down the wrong path mm -hmm. or they've, they've been down so many pathways that to get well, you know, they've lost hope and they're like, I tried this and I tried this and I tried that and it didn't work. And you get angry and you get resentful because these things didn't work. And then you actually become uh, fearful uh, to go down anything else. And I had a friend of mine who, who calls it this. He goes, we call that the path of not here. Which means that you're going down a pathway and that's not it your answer is not there. So don't get upset. You should actually 
celebrate because now you know where you're not supposed to be going. Hmm. So then you, you go back until you were on where you were on the path that you felt comfortable. And then you just take a different one because mm-hmm. the only way you're going to find the right path is by going down lots of wrong ones. Right? Yeah. And that, that's what, that's what changes, but nobody ever changes when they're comfortable. Right. Yeah. Cause why I, in the hell would you, you're comfortable. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. It's a, it's your body's defense mechanism. It's, it's like you said, it's trying to protect you, but you have to actively go against that almost of those old, old patterns. It sounds like it's understanding it too. Like, listen, mm-hmm. when you know that and you have a conversation with your body and you don't get upset at it, mm-hmm. it, it never, the body never does anything without a reason, even if you don't know what it is. And I, I can tell you what the reason is. You already know what the reason is You're not dying. Right. And safety and comfort. That's why if I sit on my rear end for too long, my, my butt starts to hurt. And then that's the signal uh, Perry might want to get up. I want to move a little bit. Right. So that's that, that input right, to, to get you to move because nothing happens until something moves and life is movement. Mm-hmm. And when you do these things, you don't have to do a lot. One of the things that I've discovered in all of my years is that even good therapeutic interventions are also considered stressors. Mm. Everything stresses your system. It's your capacity to adapt to the stressors that's the key. So the more stress that you're under, when you overload it, the less you can tolerate. So what happens is that when you throw too many things at a system in rehabilitation, it's beyond the capacity of the system to deal with it. And when it gets to that point, it doesn't change. It says, I'm not doing anything because it's too much. So I don't know what to do with it. And when it gets overloaded, it says, I know exactly what to do. I'm going to go back to what's always worked. I'm going to go back to that. And then you're frustrated. You're like, I'm doing these 25 exercises and they're supposed to work. And I'm like, I'm telling you, maybe it's because you should do two of them. And then you say, how come, how do I know it's not three? Well, that's the path of not here. How about you start with two and you see how you feel? How about you add three? How about you add four? And then you change it up. And that's what we call uh, novelty, difference, variation, variability, and variety. They're the three Vs. My friend Joanne Elphinston, a physical therapy coined that. And that's what it is. Otherwise known as one simple word, uh, play, exploration, right? Not being afraid of, I get all the time, like, Doc, I show a thing on uh, Instagram, and I immediately get, how many times a day, how many reps, how fast, how deep, how slow? And then my answer is always the same. Yes. I say that all the time. You, you, you need to do, because that's what life is, man. When you walk out your front door, it's got no order to it. Mm-hmm. It's chaos. And that's how you have to do your rehabilitation, Right. Just a little bit and become comfortable with it and, and uh, explore, expand, if you will. And here's the thing I learned also. The people that usually end up having chronic pain or get sick are these, you know, uh, type A personalities. They, they get caught up in everything. They're in fight or flight. And it's just go, 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 go. And they're almost like control freaks. Right. And they take that same trait that got them ill and they bring it to their recovery program. And they're obsessive compulsive on, I got to get this amount of steps in, I got to get this time here, and I got to these supplements, and if I miss it, they get... So I'm like, you're still caught in the quicksand, right? So you got to flip that switch first, 
Otherwise, all these other interventions that you're doing um, will probably not be as successful for you because your body's already overloaded. That's why you're freaking sick. Mm -hmm. So why do you want to come at it even more? So you just back off. You probably see it too. I see people coming to see me and they're taking 25, 30 different supplements at one shot. And I'm like, you do realize that when you put that into a system, your body's got to deal with that, right? Your gut, your liver, your kidneys. And if you're sick, I already know it can't. <laughs> so you, you got to be careful with that. And then it goes back into this is that whatever you put into your body, good or bad, which is all context and cultural, um, turns into waste. Even the best food in the world that you stick in your mouth turns to waste. It's better than putting bad food in. I'll preface it that. So I'd rather eat fresh fruit than a Twinkie ding dong. You got it. But they're all, they're each going to be your, your, your body is like, okay, all we got is a ding dong to make cells with today. Let's do the best we can. Right. But when he uses it, it makes waste. And if that waste doesn't get out, you're not going to get well because hmm. the waste stays inside of you. And then when the waste stays inside of you, whatever nutrition and supplements you put in, the body won't allow in mm -hmm. because you've already got too much crap in there to begin with. So it either gets rid of it or you just become more toxic and then you don't get better. So that's why the, the gut is so important and all those uh, elimination organs. Some people call them detox. I just call them elimination organs because detox is like a trigger word these days. It is, um, yeah. You know, you, your skin is an elimination organ. Your lungs are big. They get out carbon dioxide all the time and free radicals. And um, then you've got your uh, poop. That's a big one your pee, and then your lymphatics, all of those. So if you think about it, your, your beautiful design body, most of it is there to get stuff out. And if you're not supporting it to do that, then we see toxicity and, and dysfunction. And all the basics do that. Mm -hmm. Movement does that. Yeah, you're not Water talking does like that. you're not talking CrossFit. You're not talking. You're just talking like move, move, get up, go for a walk. You know. Yeah, I um, mean, you know, walking or jumping up and down or just twisting, right? Because mm -hmm. there's a difference between movement and exercise. Exercise is uh, a human construct. Right? Show up here, do these reps. Movement is movement. Mm -hmm. right? And to me, there's no wrong way to move. There's just different ways to move. Right. Because how you move depends on the environment that you're in and the task that you're trying to accomplish. Because when they say, oh, when you squat, never round your back. Well, who's who told you that? Sometimes if I got to squat out in the real world, it's the only way I'm getting down. Mm -hmm. It's the only way I'm getting under a log or over a bush. So it's context. It's just the amount of reps you do all the time that matters. Mm -hmm. But when you're in nature, you don't do repetitive motions like that. You're all over the damn place. Right. You pick up heavy stuff however you can and you carry it and you put it down that right there will make you a resilient monster it's one of my all-time favorite uh movement slash rehabilitation drills is to carry heavy stuff mm -hmm. it'll change your body in two weeks faster than almost anything mm -hmm.
right? It's because it's basically what they call resource allocation in the old days, because I didn't have a refrigerator. I didn't have Amazon. I had to go out and find my food, kill it and haul it back and process it and eat it and then move my grain and my water from here to there. And we don't do that anymore. The only thing I do for resource allocation these days is to swipe my finger left and right, up or down on the phone. And human beings are paying a price for that. Hmm. So with the basics and fundamentals, they are designed to enhance those elimination processes. That's why when you move, you say, hey, you know what? I went for two walks and I'm pooping more than I ever have. That's good. That's mm-hmm. awesome. And uh, if you're dehydrated, it's really going to be hard to have bowel movements. That's one thing. And dehydration thickens your blood. So you're also going to have an issue with being able to deliver nutrients to your cells because the blood's too thick because you're dehydrated. Mm-hmm. I mean, just those two things right there. If you just tell people... Walk a little bit more than you're doing now and then have an extra glass of water a day. And then what else are you drinking during the day besides water? Uh, three cups of coffee and two Red Bulls. I'm like, okay, well, how about you decrease that down two of those, mm-hmm. right? Not all of them. You don't have to. If you can, that's great. But go down that way little and often over the long haul, tiny little action steps that you do for that. Mm-hmm. Because it's the, it's the direction. It's not a destination, right? I like that really great kind of way to to leave the audiences with that concept that you don't you certainly will not feel the same or feel perfect every single day and letting go of some of those expectations of that not letting your you know diagnosis define you um you know these are some big heavy topics but they are we went went pretty (laughs) deep man we did no, but it's it's so good to to do that because again, a lot of people are looking for the how many reps, how many times a day to take the supplement, which supplement. But we're we're skipping, you know, in in the sense of the A to B stuff. It's like a different concept of that, but we're skipping all the steps, thinking we're just going to get to C, and it doesn't work that way. Our bodies are not designed that way, and if you're not doing those fundamental aspects and also working on and acknowledging the value that your, your mindset has, you can't get better. You can't move towards that path of evolution and um, progression. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself. Just anybody ever seen the, the classic uh, first, mind you, a karate kid movie. Yes. Rob Macho. And then came back with Cobra Kai. Mm-hmm. The, the the iconic scene of, you know, wax on, wax off, sand the floor, paint the fence. I don't want to do that. That's all boring. That's basic. Can I just do the fun, really cool stuff? And Mr. Miyagi goes, no, I need you to do these over and over and over because they instill the basic foundational program for you to proceed past anything else. Mm-hmm. And you're getting the benefit from it. You just don't see it right away. That's the thing. Right. But you will when challenged, like Mm -hmm. when when he's had Danielson's had enough and then Maggie starts punching him. And then all he's like, where did my hands come from? How did I know how to do that? That's the ingrained pattern. That's the ingrained habit. And then that's what it'll be for yourself as well. When you get these basics down Mm -hmm. and you'll be much more 
resilient and stronger. It doesn't mean that stuff is still not going to happen to you. That's life. And you're not supposed to be comfortable. And, you know, somebody said that if you're on vacation and loving life for about two weeks, that's good. But if you did that for two years, you're going to find some way to sabotage your life for a little excitement because Mm -hmm. it's going to get you're going to go downhill quick. You think you want comfort, but trust me, you don't. And then that's where the lessons come from. Right. Mm -hmm. And then that's the if I could leave it with anything is reframe how you're looking at pain reframe how you're looking at the symptoms that your body is sending you because it's a form of communication Mm -hmm. right and once you even can flip that uh perception you feel this weight at least it did for me i felt this weight come off of my shoulders it came off of my heart and my soul like this one and it's almost like your your body's saying it's about time you showed up. Mm. I've been waiting for you and I've been talking to you a long time, but nobody's been listening. They've been, they've been blaming. I love that. That's incredible. So where can people find you? I mean, do you work virtually with clients? Yes, you do. I do. Yes. I do virtual work and I do in-person work only two days a week. Um, Cause I do that mostly to keep my, my mind sharp and my hands in the game. Mm-hmm. And it also is kind of like when the things I have in my brain, I actually have to do in real life to see if they work. <laughs> it's like, okay, well that worked out actually quite well. Right? <laughs> um, so it's kind of my lab and I learn a lot from people, mm-hmm. you know, what they tell me, right. Everybody's different. And then uh, of course I do a lot of education and mm-hmm. teaching. So people can find me quite easily. The name we talked about in the beginning, uh, stopchasingpain.com. If you go to that, that will be the central hub for going out to anything and everything you would want. And it's for all humans, not just professionals, but any person who wants to empower themselves and not suffer as much and learn some cool things because everybody can. And then the classes and the courses and the videos and the membership site and all that stuff is applicable for everyone as well. And of course, you'll usually find me on Instagram under Stop Chasing Pain. With excellent videos. He's got great little bits similar to the way, you know, you were just discussing of just incorporating these little things one at a time. So I'll scroll through your videos and I'll pick like one thing to do for a few mm-hmm. weeks and then come back and be like, okay, I'm ready for the next thing versus you know, if you were to tell me to try all the things that you had, I know I'd get overwhelmed. So I would encourage yeah, I people. Yeah, I can be a lot. <laughs> no, it's good. And so can I. I mean, I'm posting like seven times a day here, vitamin A, and this is good for liver and gut health. And this is a good probiotic. I mean, you can only imagine the types of, you know, people don't truly heal from from that type of information overload. But but that's what we need to do to, to teach and to put the information there. But it's how people use and apply it is what will make the change in their journey and depending on, of course, where they are. So I would highly recommend that everyone check out um, Dr. Perry's website. I've had friends go through his training and they are professionals or just lay people with autoimmune disease. 
and they've seen incredible results, which is why I had to have him on here today because he has this wisdom and this passion and his own personal story to share with the world. And it would be a disservice if we did not bring that to this podcast. So thank you, Dr. Perry, for coming on today. Really appreciate you taking the time. And um, yeah, I, I'm inspired by the work that you do. Oh, uh, thank you so much. That was very kind. I had a great time. Sorry if I went kind of crazy a little bit. Once I start talking about what I love, I just won't stop. So hopefully I didn't. <laughs> no. It was really a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. It was fantastic. Um, I do have one last question. The most yeah. important question is... Oh, boy. I got to study for this. Am I ready? Okay. <laughs> what is your favorite childhood memory with food? With food? Oh, that's a really great question, honestly. <laughs> um, I, I can tell you what it would be. Um, it was... I had a pretty t- tough um, home life with... Um, like a lot of people do. And some of my most cherished moments are where I got to sit with my father and we would always have uh, meals together and uh, he would make it, but I would help. So it was that sense of the food being a conduit for a connection. Mm. So I think that's my favorite memory because it's what I always think about all the time. And it was a really important thing for me that carried over in relationship to you know, what I did with my own um, son. So I would have to say that. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. You're welcome. That's a great question. That's the first time I ever got that one. <laughs> no desert island. Like what, you know, don't, don't like, like, don't like those questions. I have a lot. Yeah. Of- I was like, okay, who would I have dinner with alive or dead? I was ready. <laughs> yeah. I, <was> <laughs> <laughs> I got to keep you on your toes. Like you said, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Whew, I'm glad I passed. Okay, good. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thanks, Dr. Perry, again. It was so great talking with you and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Next week is the last chance to apply for my October group coaching program. And this week I'm featuring another review from a graduate of the program. She said, Erin is incredible. I joined the group coaching program with the goal to not only gain more insight into and support with my own digestive issues, but also to learn as much as possible about everyday gut support. I had seen a GI doctor previously and didn't feel I received the depth of support and investigation needed to improve my symptoms. With the support of Erin and the group coaching program material, I was able to leverage my various test results to make changes in my diet and everyday routine to improve my symptoms and overall health. The information in each weekly session was incredibly eye-opening, and I learned more than I could have ever imagined about how to properly fuel and care for my gut. Thank you so much, Nicole, for this awesome review. I'm so glad to hear that you were successful as part of the program. And if you're interested in applying, you can go to nutritionrewired.com. Again, that starts the first week in October, and I would love to have you join. So thanks again for tuning in. And as always, don't forget to share the health.